Hello and welcome along to the RTE Rugby Podcast. Another packed running order to bring you Women's Six Nations Champions Cup as well. And I am joined this week by Bernard Jackman and Eddie O'Sullivan. A couple of men who have a couple of big games of their own this week. Birch, just speaking off air before we started, you've got with Beck Devere All-Ireland Playoff Semi-Final coming up this Saturday. Yeah, All-Ireland Semi-Final against Clara Valley, uh, the winners of the Ultra Championship. So it's in Coolmine, one o'clock. It's a double header. Uh, Craig's and Richmond play after us and then Obviously, the two winners would, would play in the final um, to get promoted to the AIL two weeks later. So, tough game. They're, they're the Ulster, they're the All Ireland Junior Champions and Ulster Champions and Estonians. Uh, they finished second in Estonians last year. So, uh, and Estonians have obviously had a great season in 2C. So, uh, tough game. So, looking forward to it. And Eddie, coming into the business end as well of the, the All Ireland League, give your penultimate game of, of 1B uh, with Buccaneers and still, still very much a mish- with a shot of, um, <coughs> excuse me, automatic promotion but you do need a couple of good wins and maybe something to go go right elsewhere it's a very tight league anyway if you look at the the table itself it's you could go literally from first to fifth in in a, in a couple of weeks it's been a very it's been a great league and there's like it's pressure on all the time and there's nothing between anything if you look at the, the results like even the teams at the bottom end of the table have lost games by one score most of the time so it's been very competitive. Um, for us, it's great. Like we came up, came up last from, from the Division Two A uh, to One B. So our first priority was survival. We've got off to a great run before Christmas, but at this end of the season now, you know you're really getting tested with injuries and stuff, and so it's been tough. But we're we're in there with a shout. You know, we're we're uh, we're very happy where we are. But it's uh, some tough games. We've got Wesley uh, uh, in Dublin, um, where they like to play in that quick uh, artificial turf in Donnybrook. And then we have a big crunch game against Armagh, who are at the top of the table. We've done it at home. So it could all come down to that if, if things go well next Saturday. But there's so much up in the air. But it's, it's been a it's been a helter skelter of a league. It's been great. Yeah, if things go right, I mean, that could literally be a title decider against City yeah. of Armagh on the last day. I mean, it's just been a it's been a fairly bonkers league from from day one, really, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. There's been nothing in it for any team. Like we've had, I'm looking back. We haven't had any game was say easy. We've been lucky in a few games. We've maybe got a couple of scores in the last ten minutes, but every game is apparently down to the wire, and there's nothing in it. So that division is packed with teams who got all of them capable of beating each other on the day. So it makes for a great league, you know. <laughs> it's it makes makes for nerve nerve uh, tingling moments in every game. But yeah, it's been it's been great, yeah. Certainly does, yeah. So penultimate round of of games across all the divisions this weekend in the in the AIL. So make sure to get out to a match if you can. Moving on to to things elsewhere, though, guys, we'll we'll start the pot on the the TikTok Women Six Nations. And I know the pair of ye were on against the head on Monday night, but it's probably an opportunity to maybe expand on on some of the the things you were speaking about. So Ireland beating thirty one five by Wales in their opening game at Cardiff Arms Park. Next up. I mean, not really getting any easier. World number three, France, coming to Musgrave Park on Saturday. 3.15 kickoff, live commentary of that on RTE Radio 1. But, Eddie, on Against the Head, you were saying, ultimately, if you're playing behind the game line, the game line there's no game plan in the world that's that's going to work. What what can you actually do in a game, though, if you, if you are in a situation like that where it doesn't... I don't know, from my point of view, it didn't really seem like there was a, a skill issue involved there or there was a... A way they you know something wrong and how they were carrying into the into the tackle. It was just an enormous gulf in power and size. And how do you navigate that in a match? Well, yeah, there was a, um, a gulf in size and power, and that was pretty evident. 
where Ireland got really bullied um, in the contact area, got bullied in the wall. So I think they would have known that was coming, you know, like they, they know this Welsh team um, and they're, they're a good Welsh team. So when you go into a game like that where you're going to be out-muscled if you go toe-to-toe, the trick is to come up with a game plan that doesn't get you into those situations. Or Now, you're going to be in at some point, but you're trying to minimise it. And one of the ways through that is to move the ball around, you know, uh, attack wider, attack quicker, uh, attack different spaces. Um, and the problem with that is, is it's, it's a risky strategy, but you're better off trying that. And and having it come off, then then go into a strategy where it's predictable what's going to happen. And you get blown away in the contact, and I, like Ireland just got completely up muscled. Um, with regard to the, the stopping the mall, they're very hard to stop. But there's ways of stopping the mall. You can sack the mall, you know. You can non-compete the mall. You can stay down and not compete at all, and 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 drive. So, they 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 are going. The thing from going forward, the takeaway from last weekend for me is that they're they have got very tough games coming. Let's be honest, they've got. You know, France, they've got England, they've got Scotland and Italy in between. And Italy are a threat now, I think, based on their result against France. So they've got to start thinking outside the box a bit and, you know, try and come up with ways of of counteracting where they're weak and and trying to cause a weakness in the opposition. Now, that's very hard, but it's something you have to try and do. If you don't, the inevitable happens. And the inevitable was last weekend, they got completely up-muscled. Now, to be fair to them, it looked very bad after 60 minutes or like our even come to half time and they kind of dug in, you know, and they, they got it, you know, they, they kind of, I kind of, they, the last part of the game, they were actually quite positive in, in terms of not giving up scores. But if they're going to score tries, they're going to have to come up with ways of moving the opposition around who are basically more powerful than them. It's not easy, hmm. but that's one, of the, that's one of the tasks you have as a coach is trying to find a way of staying in a game where you're being out muscle. I mean, when I was coaching Ireland, you know, we're going back 20 years, when we played the Springboks, we were always, Going to get out muscled if we went toe to toe, so we always took them out their comfort zone, moved them around. Did the same with England predominantly as well. England and and and, and South Africa would put out muscle, you know. So that's the challenge for a team. And there is, of course, to be fair, you know, to do that you need an, a certain skill set as well. You know, it's easy to say it. You've got to do it under pressure. But um, I think you'd like to see them tr- try these things in the in the championship and 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 see how it goes, because if. I suspect if they if they play a kind of a predictable conservative game, they will get they will be in trouble against the bigger teams, and and you know you have to say that that that's going to make life tough for them. It's a long championship now after the the loss the way they lost in their first game. Mm. And and Bert, we were doing media stuff yesterday out in Abbottstown, and John McKee was up speaking, and he was saying that you know one of the the positives they do take, and you know he wasn't saying there were lots of positives, but he said one of them was that. As the second half wore on, it was clear that, you know, there's a really strong level of fitness in the group. And ultimately, that the longer the game went on, they were looking stronger against Wales. But the problem is really that if you want your fitness to be a factor, there has to be a game by by the 60 minute mark for, for you to actually take advantage of it. And that's the that's the problem they kind of find themselves in at the moment. Yeah, and I remember when McWilliams got to get got the job, um, he spoke about um the ball and play time and you know i think he mentioned there was 33 minutes ball and play time on average amongst the top teams and we were far below that in terms of what we were able to do at, at all our league level in terms of test matches we were playing so i think there has been a big focus on on getting the the women's team capable of playing you know high tempo game um 
Um, but you're 100% right. I mean, they need to be able to, to stop the power game. They need to be able to defend um, their line. Their kick, they need to have balance in their in their run kick game. You know, I thought their kicking game was was really poor. You're not going to be in game 60 minutes if you can't can't exit, you can't play territory. So there's a, the fitness is only one component, unfortunately. Mm. Probably the one that's going to prove quickest because of professionalism. Um, but, you know, there's, there's other areas that they're going to have to improve upon and there's no let up I mean you know the, the, the France this week I, reading some of the um journal or the the newspapers in France and, and the quotes in the French women they're livid with their performance against Italy you know and they want to lay down a marker so um this could be a very tough game for for a Saturday in, in Cork and they probably are a positive, uh, like, sorry probably a positive for the for the women's game is that uh last weekend is that they had like 51 percent possession so they actually had their share of the ball. Now, if you can get parity in possession and you you can use it smartly, um, you know you can one thing you can keep yourself out of you keep yourself out of your your defensive third of the field, and that's very hard for the opposition to score unless you're going to score from long range. So there are some positives there. Like if you can get half the ball and use it well, you know you should keep yourself in the game. But it's how you use it. That's the big challenge for them. As Bernard said. Kicking game is part of it as well, and you've you've got to kick, uh, to an advantage, not to just get rid of the ball, you know, and and that's tough as well. But like they're all the challenges, uh, that Greg faces, you know, for a team that's going to get out muscled, in a, in a championship, and and that's that's the thing he's got to probably got to rack his brain is how do we get best value for our possession, how do we stay out of our defensive third of the field, and then if you're going to use your fitness, you need to actually move the opposition around from early doors. So that when they get into the last twenty, they're struggling, and you're you're you've got an advantage. So they're all kind of overarching strategies you can use, but um, but I don't I don't think there's a a switch you can flip be- between last week and next week. That's the problem from and when you do get a, a bit of a pounding, you've got to think of morale as well. Like it's you know it's human nature if you're getting beaten that morale dips a bit. Just trying to keep that up as well, you know, in the face of what's coming down the pike. Yeah, and Birch, they're they're all kind of caught between a rock and a hard place, but. With- with the way things are at the moment, that it's a very young squad. It's an inexperienced squad. They're clearly building for the future and they have long, long-term goals. But but all the while, while they're trying to build up that experience, everyone else is getting better as well. Wales are getting better. Italy are getting better. You'd expect Scotland to be getting better as well. And, you know, it's it's almost a bit like we see Italy in the, in the men's Six Nations a lot where they are making improvements year on year. But the problem is so is everyone else around them. Yeah, and that's that's the challenge for the RFU. It's the challenge for the head of women's rugby in Ireland is to um how we can you know accelerate uh, faster than everybody else to, to catch up because we have been left behind to a certain extent. It's been a uh, it's been crazy how quickly we we got cut adrift from the the top table in in women's rugby and um it's going to take serious structural changes, um player numbers, competition, um structure quality to to give us a playing pool that that can compete you know um and 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 that can i think it could take three to five years uh realistically so um it's gonna take a lot of patience and a lot of understanding of, of where we're at and you know in professional sport which it now is um time and patience doesn't always go hand in hand so um it's uh it's gonna be a difficult one and interesting one to follow it does, yeah. Eddie, it's something that you were saying on Monday night as well, is that Ireland need to probably get more games against teams at their level just to get 
confidence and figure out what kind of a, a rugby team they are. And we all kind of targeted the the top half of the Six Nations coming in here because a lot of people wanted to see Ireland in the top tier of that WXV competition later on this year. With with hindsight now and having seen what happened against Wales, would would it be a little bit better for Ireland in the long term if ultimately they did end up in that second tier and were probably playing against teams that were closer to their level in the short term at the very least? Yeah, it's the short answer to that because, you know, you need to play the top guns every now and again um, because you need to know where you are and to test yourself. And, you know, if you do well against the top teams, it, it's a good indication you're going the right direction. But on you need to probably get games against teams that you can compete with and they compete with you. Um, you know, these games that you, if you get it right, you win. And if you don't, you'll probably lose. Because even at the moment, to be fair to, to the team, you know, if, if they play really well against France next week, but France play to their potential, they're still probably going to lose. You know, you can play really well in some of these games and still lose. And if it go, and the problem is if you don't play well, as we saw last week, if things go wrong, you get pounded. They need to play. They need to play fixtures where it's going to be a game. It's going to be nip and tuck. But if they play well, they'll win it. You know. To, you know. So that you're right that they need those fixtures as well. And the more of those, the better. Where they're actually competing with teams that can go toe to it. And they can develop their game. Um, but the problem with international rugby is it's you don't always get that luxury, you know. The Six Nations the Six Nations, they have to play in it. Mm. Uh, so outside they need to look outside the Six Nations at times and pick their moments where they they get fixed. I think the Japan tour was probably valuable to them, you know, that they, they could rotate players, they could play a team that were pretty much at their level. So that's a good example. But they need more of those games. They probably need, you know, uh tours around things like that where they go into and play in country and the other thing about a tour which people maybe don't realize you 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 build a lot of good stuff around the team on a tour i mean bernard will tell you that like you you get a lot of uh, kind of uh work done because you're there every day you build camaraderie you build teamship you build a lot of the the cultural stuff around the team that's very hard to build when you're kind of week to week in a six nations and if you could get some uh games like that maybe tours where they play at a level uh, that's really at their level, and they go in with a good chance of, of winning a test series on the tour or playing a, f- a number of games that's been right in their their wheelhouse. Yeah, you're right. That's I think a really good way to to get best value for your time together. Mm, and uh, Mickey, I think yesterday was hinting that they are hoping to line up some games in the in the summer as well, bridging the gap between Six Nations and whatever level of the the WXV they're in later on this year. But that's Ireland against uh, France this Saturday. Uh, from Musgrave Park, live commentary on on RTE Radio One from from three fifteen. Moving to the Champions Cup, fellas. Um, Leinster and Ulster is obviously the big game of the of the weekend here at home, five thirty p.m. at the Aviva Stadium on RT Two and RT Player and Saturday Sport on RT Radio One as well. But Birch, obviously, the big news of the week was no Johnny Sexton, more than likely for the rest of the season for Leinster. Are Leinster still favourites to win the Champions Cup? Yeah, I think they still are. I think um, you know, they've been incredible this season again. Um, as they have been in, in previous seasons, you know, really impressive leading into this knockout stage of, of rugby. Um, Sexton is obviously a loss, but I think there's been such an improvement or or, or growth in stature of some of the other players, like Hayden Doris now is is probably seen as world class. Gibson Park looks like he's in the top. Priest come halves in, in the world, you know, James Lowe, um, you know, Robbie Henshaw was already there, Ringrose was already there. Cuba Keen is now 
you know, would be nailed on and it would be nailed on, but he'd be in a lot of world 15s. So I think the other players have now grown and being part of that Grand Slam um, will give them, you know, confidence that they have what it takes to close it out. And, you know, Dan Sheen has come through as well. So I think Leinster are probably less reliant on, on Johnny um, to, to, to win to the word than maybe Ireland are, to be honest. Uh, I think when you get to that, you know, quarterfinal stage in a World Cup and it's it's France or, or New Zealand, you know, you'd want to have Johnny Sexton there. Um, but I think Leinster should have enough quality to still be favourites, I think, and, 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 and get a trophy this year. Yeah, and Eddie, it shows the the long term vision I think that everyone has where, or the the panic around something happening happening Johnny Sexton at a World Cup where when that news came through on Monday, I had about a handful of texts from various kind of you know friends groups I'm in and stuff like that and the overwhelming, uh, reaction to it was this is great Ross Byrne will get to play a lot of really important minutes between now and the end of the season, it it seems with Johnny Sexton that we we only want him so that we never actually have to play him. <laughs> yeah, strange. But I think he's look. Let's not underestimate his importance to Leinster mm. uh, and Ireland. Well, goes without saying. But he is really important to Leinster. But I think if Bernard's right, um, you know, in, in to take Ross Bourne's development, even if you go back, um, to you know previous seasons, Ross has stepped up to the plate as well in big occasions, and he's come through. Um, so and it's not all about Ross Bourne as well. I think you've got enough experience back on the field. You know, through all the Irish guys come back, you know, um, for me, like, you know, we talked the other night and against the head about, what I'm saying, about reintegrating guys. And there's a point there that, you know, guys come back the first week back. There's always kind of a, uh, it takes a while for guys to get back on the same page. But I think you look at the calibre of players coming back, like it's pretty much a lot of the Irish team coming back, you know. Um, and they've played, they've probably played together more with Ireland than with Leinster in the last couple of months, you know. Um, so, I think that you know, I, I don't I don't see um Leinster falling because Johnny isn't there. That's why I put it. I, I think Leinster can get this done without Johnny. I don't doubt that. No, the question is, will Leinster get it done? Mm-hmm. And I think on form, of course, there's no discussion, but rugby is funny. Um, but I think it's it's for Ulster to do something to really upset the apple cart. Um, they need to come with a very good game plan. You know, they've had success in Dublin. Uh, again, against against Leinster, um, but on those games they're one offs. They've got a lot of things right, and Leinster have maybe just been a little bit off in a few areas. So that's all it takes in a knockout game, you know. And Ulster will come in with the view that look, let's just throw the kitchen sink here in a measured way, not just go crazy, but like have a really good game plan. They need a very good kicking game plan. Their set piece has to fire. They've got to get over the game line. They've got to play quickly in the right places. There's like that that game plan that Dan McFarlane comes up with has got to be right on point. Uh, and that's a hard thing against Leinster because it's not, you know, we look across Leinster, there's not a ton of weaknesses. But if 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 Ulster come in with a game plan that's on point and Leinster are a little bit off, then it's game on. But that that's not doesn't take much. But the for me, I think the back the the if you take a step back, um Leinster, Leinster are going to gauge their season by Europe. Mm. You know, they, they they were almost European champions last year with two minutes to go and then it slipped away against La Rochelle. And I think they'll measure their season. If they were to go at the last 16 of Europe, it would be catastrophic for the, for the club, you know. Um, and they realise the importance of that because they're aiming at winning the European Cup this season, not just, you know, playing it. 
Um, and they're nailed on as probably one of the favourites, and rightly so. So I think when you put that weight of expectation on them, they'll probably respond the right way. I don't, I don't see them slipping up. Um, but then again, you know, I've been wrong before about results. <laughs> We've all been wrong before. Birch, if if you were Dan McFarlane now, if I give you a goatee and you became Dan McFarland all of a sudden, what would what would you be looking at in in Leinster? Is, is there a weak spot that you would be trying to target there or is it a you're trying to come up with the all-round game to to break them down? So I'm trying to, I spent yesterday trying to build a piece on Leinster's weaknesses for pre-match for RT and uh, I just scrapped it oh, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I scrapped it. Uh, I, I know the only area that is a concern is their mall defence to be honest and, and Gloucester really you know went after him there and Gloucester have the best mall Attacking ball in the in the Premiership and um they exposed Leinster and ironically that's probably you know one of Ulster's biggest weapons um is their is their mall attack so the problem for Ulster is can they get enough opportunities to to use that in range you know um Leinster tend to be very disciplined they've got a very good kicking game um so you don't get that many opportunities to kick it five meters out and and, and use it and. I think Leinster probably learned from that Gloucester game. I think um, I expect it to be a bit better. Uh, they weren't full full strength that day. Um, I think they'll be stronger uh, on paper this weekend. Um, and I think they'll have worked on that. So, no, I, I don't see any obvious weaknesses, to be honest. Uh, and I had a good chat with the Stormers coaches and um, Thursday night before they played and asked them what they saw in Leinster. And their big thing was, you know, just you can't give them quick ball. You, you got to try and slow down that that collision area but that's not rocket science every team does that there wasn't anything you know major that they saw that they could attack they just felt they brought their internationals and and they had a lot of power and 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 talent and you know they're up against the Leinster team maybe missed some internationals and that that was one of the reasons they felt they had a crack at it so um when I've looked at what Ulster have done in the past under Dan against Leinster and done well is they've been very pragmatic and not overplayed. So, uh, in actual fact, they've, they've kicked the ball a hell of a lot um, down the tram lines, um, using Cooney, Cooney's box kicking, getting in the air. If they can't win it back in the air, you know, slowing that ball down, making Leinster play off an edge, and that makes it easier to stop them. So, I, I expect, I don't think it's going to be a, a game of sevens. I think Ulster will cut their cloth to try and give themselves the best possible chance of winning. And, you know, a little bit like we saw the other night, you know, in 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 the Viva with Ireland, France. You know, Stephen Kenny maybe gave up a little bit on his on his um, I suppose, philosophy to to give themselves a chance of, of performing and winning against a team who, on paper, were way were better and Leinster on paper are better than Ulster for uh, at the moment. I think that's fair. So, I think that's what Dan will go to. He'll go to a kicking game, a contestable kicking game. And, and try and squeeze Leinster and force penalties and then try and use their maul. Um, and even though Ulster have a great back line, I don't really see them being able to outrun Leinster. I think it's going to come down to playing cup-type cup rugby. And Eddie, the do you think there's any, from an Ulster point of view, there'd be any emotional demons from that game back in December when they had the big lead at the RDS? It's really probably only in the last month or month or six weeks that they've actually kind of got out of that rut they found themselves in following that game and do you think yeah. do you think any part of that will carry its way over into the Aviva Stadium on Saturday or is this different this is cup rugby it's a one-off game they can absolutely go for it without 
having that hang up? I I I think they'll park that. You know that you can't put too much stock in those games. There, you know, in in the in the uh, the ARC because you're playing you're playing different Leinster side next weekend. It's cup rugby, you're right. It's knockout. It's uh, you know, winner winner go home. You know, and um, from that perspective, I think they have a couple of things they might bring that might give them a shot against Leinster. One for me is that they've got to they've got to defend really well, and I think. Even we saw last weekend, although it wasn't the full Leinster side, but we saw them when they beat Leinster in the, R- in the RDS um, the last time. They used the blitz defence really effectively against Leinster. Like, they got off the line incredibly quick. They smashed Leinster, really given time. They kind of suffocate them to give, give them time and space. And Leinster struggled with that, you know. It's not an easy defence to break down. Now, you've got to couple that with really good discipline. You know, if you're giving away penalties for offside or penalties at the rock and stuff like Leinster will murder you. They'll just ping you into your own third of the field and you won't get out alive, you know. But if they can bring really aggressive uh, blitz defence and really force Leinster to work hard to get into the outside channels and then choke them on the inside channels, you know, that makes Leinster's job a lot harder in terms of hanging on to the ball. But it's got to be, the counter to that, it's got to be extremely disciplined. And and because the blitz defence is so aggressive, Discipline always off, often goes out the window because guys go off their feet at rocks so they get offside and stuff. But to me, that's if I was playing Leinster next week, I'd come after them like mad dogs in the meat house, like in terms of just aggressive defence. And I think the other thing Bernard said I'd agree with is that their kicking strategy is very pragmatic. They've got to kind of force Leinster to play from deep. You know, one of the ways of doing that is if you're going to kick, kick contestables that you, even if you don't get them back, Leinster can't, launch counterattacks from them. They've got to build from a rock. So like when the ball lands, if you don't win it, you knock the guy in his backside, there's a rock, then you build your defensive line and Leinster in their own third of the field with a slow rock and say, no, what do you want to do with that? So like make Leinster play from deep. Uh, don't give them easy ins into your third of the field. And when they have the ball, bring as much pressure to bear as you can. Now that I think that puts you in the game. If you get all that done, that's tough on Leinster. But if Leinster get on the front foot, they get easy. They get easy access to your third of the field. You know, you slip off tackles out wide because you let them into the outside channels, and they have power there. You know, all those things can cause you a lot of pain. But I think there are there are ways for for Ulster to go about this. They have, I wouldn't say a blueprint, but they have little slivers of blueprints that worked from before against Leinster. If you put enough of those together on the day, you you have a game plan that gives you a shot. Um, so. That's how you upset the Apple Cart, really. And that the Apple Cart will have to be upset next weekend if, if Ulster to win. Yeah, it certainly will. And Birch, Ulster know it as well as anyone else. And we were nicely reminded of it at Friday on Friday night at the RDS that it seems Leinster are never more dangerous than when they're they're hanging off the ropes. I mean, they were nineteen down against Ulster in December. They were seventeen nil down against the Stormers the other night. And it just takes one score and all of a sudden like I know you were there on Friday night as well. I was there as soon as Leinster got that opening try. In my head, I was saying, at the very least, they're coming away with they're coming away with a losing bonus point here. I mean, it, they can just flip a game with one score. Yeah, they have, and, and that's something I think that they've they've spent a huge amount of time post Bulls La Rochelle last season, um, trying to figure out. I think they felt that in both those games. Both games were there to be won, and 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 they didn't um they didn't stay composed. They didn't make the right options at the right time. Didn't stay on plan, and, and 
no matter what's happened to them this season, they've shown an incredible amount of resilience, self-belief, um, heart as well. And, and you know, we often speak about how skillful they are and what they're a joy to watch, but um, they're sticky, you know, and they're sticky. And, and no matter what player wears a Leicester jersey at the moment, whether it's, you know, someone who's played first times for Ireland or whether it's someone making their debut, they seem to be able to fit in quite seamlessly. Um, and, yeah, like the biggest thing was, I think, if you think about that mid-season blip that Ulster had, which nearly put them off the rails, I think they deserve credit for getting back on track. Leinster caused that. You know what I mean? Leinster caused that by the nature of how they came back from that deficit in the RDS when it looked like Ulster were odds on to win and, and Leinster were pulling, pulled away and destroyed them. Um, and you'd have to wonder, is that not going to be in the Ulster minds? I think, you know, Dan McFarland this week, it, it's it's getting the head right uh, and getting their confidence right or, or creating this belief that they can win is going to be half the battle. You know, game plan obviously has to be really smart and we spoke about that, but um, has that defeat to Leinster the last time out when realistically they, they should have closed it out? Has that got into their heads? And, and if it has, you know, Leinster will, will, will win quite convincingly. Well, we'll find out on Saturday evening, half five kickoff at the Aviva Stadium and it looks like it's going to be sold out. It's going to be a brilliant occasion. I think there's only about a thousand or so tickets left to buy. So we're pretty much heading for a, a sellout at the Aviva Stadium on Saturday evening. Earlier on Saturday, though, we're going to have the Sharks against Munster, 12.30 kickoff at Kings Park in Durban. And Eddie, we were doing the, the media calls yesterday with, with Graham Roundtree and it was pointed out to him that Munster have been there and done it all over the the course of the the Heineken Champions Cup, so it's 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 rare for for them to be encountering a first in Europe, a knockout game down in down in South Africa, and there's just an entirely new dynamic to it. Yeah, well, firstly, you know, Munster when it comes to Europe have you know have the history in it, but to be fair to them as well, you know, even when they've things haven't gone well for them, they've always ponied up in Europe and and give a good account of themselves. Um, you know, I thought this year when they they played Toulouse in Tolman Park, I was I was working that game, and it was they had it. They could have won that game. They just made a couple of mistakes at the wrong time, and Toulouse pounced. Uh, and then they give a great account to themselves as well in Toulouse. You know, so like they have it in them to deliver those big performances. Um, you'd like to think the weekend, even though it's not Tolman Park or you know they're not at home, that they're going away from home, that they they'll. They won't make a difference to them. The thing that worries me about them at the moment is that the one part of their game that was going well, um, along with their their attacking development, you know, their attacking development has been really good uh, under Mike Prendergast. They've no, they're not able to attack teams from deep, and and you know, you know, break teams down from from forty fifty meters, and they still get you if they get into the twenty two as well. They still have their old power game. But the one thing that's worried me the last couple of weeks, and we discussed it as well on, on Against the Head, the last couple of times I was there, is their defence seems to have slipped off a cliff, you know. Um, they look really vulnerable in defence. And they were the second best defensive team in the league behind Leinster. And um, for some reason, they've got the heebie-jeebies. It started kind of in Benetton, where they gave up, you know, four tries in Benetton, I think, you know, against, like, even though they got out of that game, it was awful. They could have lost it in the last minute. And then they, they fell apart down in, Muscat Park after racking up a score on Clinetley, you know, and the Scarlet's just torn to shreds. And then you had last weekend, you know, against Glasgow, they were just completely, you know, torn apart. So does the really- sorry, sorry to interrupt. Does the does the Six Nations factor into that at all where you end up with this stop start schedule 
of a game and there's a couple of weeks break, a game, couple of weeks break, and, yeah. a, ga- and, and a game. You, you're not buying that now? Everybody's doing the same thing. Munster are not unique in that they have a, they have a stop-start schedule. Every club has a stop-start schedule. Um, they just seem to have lost their way defensively. And if you look at the the line breaks they're giving up, they're guys making system errors, you know, not filling positions or jumping out of positions or getting their spacing wrong. And the problem with defense is that, you know, you have a system. It's not the most, it's not the most difficult part of the game, defense, because you don't have to worry about the ball. You're not minding the ball, just minding yourself. And if you run a good defense system and you tackle, you're always going to be in the game. And Munster were doing that. You know, that's the it's not like Munster have struggled with this all year. But we've been laser focused on their attack. You know, what was Mikey Prendergast bringing? And he'd done a phenomenal job with them. They're a different attacking team. And we always took their defense for granted. But for some reason, it's it's come unglued now in the last while. Like, I mean, the last two URC games, they've, they've conceded 80 points and 10 tries. Like, that's that's not a that's not something you want on, 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 on your report card going into the knockout part of the season. And the problem with playing a team like South Africa, in South Africa, like a South African team, is they have power and they have pace wide. And if if they if you give them half chances, they'll score from... We saw the Bulls who were up in, up in Raven Hill last week, you know, chip over the top, ball bounces up. They're in under the sticks. Like they, they don't... The South African teams, because the pace they have out wide, and, and, and they don't need much... Um, kind of daylight in the defence to cut it open. And that's the one thing I worry about Monster. I think Monster will score points next weekend, I've no doubt. But will they give up points as well? And that's, to me, if if, if they fix that and for that game, it's got to be, they've got to tighten up the defence somehow. And the one last thing I'll say is that, that it's not an easy thing to do. You know, you say, oh, we'll do this, we'll do this, and this. But when you start leaking tries and your defence starts to malfunction, guys' confidence in the system starts to ebb away. And when guys lose their confidence in the system, they go quiet on the field, they don't talk as much, and, and they're likely to go off script if they if something they think something's going to go wrong, they try and fix it by going off script. And I just think it's the moment it's the biggest headache Graham Rountree has is his uh, his is is his defense. And and even last week, shockingly, they got rumbled into the end goal for a try in the first few minutes of the game. Mm. Like that was probably the worst small defense monster I've put in for, for years. So there are their defensive side of football is their accolades heat at the moment. And I, I worry away from home on a hard surface against teams that are liable to cut you open with very little opportunity, that might hurt them. That's all I can see. That's the big, big, the big um, I suppose the big thing I see that could catch Munster on the weekend. Hmm. Birch, on, on Monday, you you said you actually think Munster are going to win on Saturday. Are you still still confident in that? Look at that. Yeah, I am because I think the Sharks are in a funny place. There's there's changes um, to the coaching structure there um, already in in transit and more more to come. I understand you know they're very poor way to the Scarlets um, at the weekend. Performance being up and down. Um, on paper, you know they they should be the best South African team. They're the ones who've spent the most money signing the. The highest profile players on, on for paper, whatever reason. On, on paper, it's Leinster and the Sharks. In the yeah. if you're talking the URC, isn't it? Like on paper, hundred percent. But uh, what we've seen on the pitch hasn't um, portrayed that. And I uh, look at it. The reason I fancy Munster is not on form over the last three games. Um, it's based on the fact that they've always been able to find an extra gear in Europe. Um, backs to the walls. You know, doubted, criticized. 
Um, and I think Munster will be better. And I think Peter Manny coming back in will, you know, will give them, give them a bit of uh, a bit of old school uh, character that they've always had uh, as part of their DNA. Um, and the, I think the Sharks are vulnerable. To be honest, it's not an altitude. Um, so yeah, I think they can win this week, but I don't. That doesn't mean that they're 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 perfect. They mightn't, you know, they mightn't finish ahead of Connacht in the in the. They might lose the Sharks in the last round. You know, yeah. I just think that Europe in general tends to have always got an extra gear out of even teams maybe with less talent uh, that wore red. Um, and I hope there's a reaction. I hope there's a reaction because last week is a very poor reflection of those individuals who played because it wasn't about uh, it wasn't all about um skill it was around heart desire aggression um you know fighting for each other that that was missing in that first half and they made Glasgow look incredibly good and I, and I think Glasgow were good but I, I think that they had it very easy you know far easier than you normally would get away in Thomond in a in a must win game so i'm expecting a reaction and and Birch, last point on on Munster before we move on cuz a couple of bits we need to to wrap up on but the Joey Carberry 10, Jack Crowley 12. That seems to be something Munster are persisting with, at the very least for, for the rest of this season. What are you, what are your thoughts on it in general as a as a midfield partnership? Yeah, look, I think Jack Crowley can play 12. Um, although I think physically he struggled a little bit against against uh, Glasgow, but I think he can play 12. I think he can play 15. Um, but I think he'll be playing 10 uh, very soon for, for Munster. And I think they'll have to give him a crack at us. I think Joey's obviously had a massive amount of time. Obviously, he's had injuries, but realistically, he's had a huge amount of time to make that his own, make him the Johnny Sexton or the Jack Carty of, of, of Leinster and Connacht, where if he's fit, he starts. Uh, I think that's in doubt now. I think that's in doubt now. Um, I think Frisch has put his hand up and I think he's fit this week. Fekatoa has been, Fekatoa has been good recently. I think that's your ideal partnership centre-wise. And then uh, I think that they would start with Crowley. I thought it was telling that they took off Joey, you know, and left move Crowley to ten to finish the game. Um, even though Jack had been away in camp more, uh, you know, um, you would have felt he was the one that was going to get taken off and 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 Joey to play the full game. So I think it's telling in that. And look, we, they may give Jack his um his you know the opportunity, and they may go back to Joey, but I don't think Crowley's had enough game time at ten for Munster. Um, to know whether he is uh, who's the best and I think he deserves that chance So Birch you're saying a monster win on, on Saturday Eddie gun to your head who are you calling it for? I, I agree with Birch I think they'll, they'll they'll have a much better performance but I see I see that if they don't make that improvement in defence they're going to be very vulnerable but I still think they'll get it done I agree with Birch uh, if this game was in Tom Park I don't think we'd be you know, talking about Munster potentially losing, but it is away from home. It's an away game. It's a long way from home as well. But look, yeah, going to head, I'd say Munster. But I wouldn't be shocked if it slipped through their fingers if they perform like they have on the defensive side of the football, like in the last couple of games. You know, that's to me is the benchmark for them. Mm-hmm. And it'll nicely set up potentially another game against Toulouse. Uh, <laughs> I think Munster fans are starting to get sick of the sight of them potentially. But look, they'll take it if they're if they're playing against them next week in the Champions Cup. On to Connacht, guys. Big win against Edinburgh on Saturday, 41-26. Or, yeah, against Edinburgh. Away to Benetton in the Challenge Cup on Saturday. Quarterfinal, potentially Sale or Cardiff if they get there. Um, Approaching this competition now, 
Eddie from a Connacht point of view where they've they've been on a great run in the URC. They've got themselves into a position where they're looking very, very good for the playoffs and a big shot of actually staying in the top seven and getting Champions Cup. How do you how would you approach this competition now, the, the Challenge Cup? Go all out for it or pick your battles between now and the, the rest of the season? I I think they'll go all out for it. Like the word on the street in, in, in Galway is that, you know, they're they want they've always talked about this season about staying on the cha- hunt for the Challenge Cup, you know. Um and I don't see that changing. Um plus the fact that, you know, if they if they get into the the the, the, the quarterfinals Cardiff for sale, you know. I mean, they they fancy themselves against either of those teams, you know. So I think they they have to go. They really have to go for it because you never know, like in a knockout competition, they get it, they, and they have the wind in their sails at the moment in terms of their form. Like they've been really playing well at the moment. They've won, and I think for me, the the Connacht season has overall started really badly for them. They were a bit all over the place, and there was good reason for it. They were their fixture schedule was was dreadful. They had a lot of big games away from home early in the season, and they that was because the sports ground wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. You know that new artificial surface wasn't ready to go, and they their schedule got kind of dumped on them. And the big worry was like they started behind the eight ball. Would they ever get out from behind the eight ball? But they have, like they their their recent form has been sparkling. Um, they've they they're playing some great rugby. I mean, it's 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 and and to be fair, the last couple of seasons, I think the rugby they've played has been really. Brilliant to watch with the ball. Now again, they they haven't been so. Or let's say they've been too exciting without the ball. You know, um, they their defense at times is down down. But as it entertains, entertain, they do throw it around. They do play with a lot of 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 uh, run and gun, and th- they've kept that up now. They're, that's kind of their mo again, and they're taking teams on. So they're a very difficult team to beat. So I think they'll go for this on the weekend. Like they know Benetton anyway. You know, and now that won't be easy. Benetton are have become a really tricky side. They've really Box well in, in the URC this year, so it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a nailed on win. But I think mm-hmm. it'd be very disappointed if they don't get this done because I think they have the the dogs to get it done. You know they have they have the big dogs to get it done. But um, again, I would t- caution that I think uh, they've often been involved in high scoring games because they've scored a lot of points, but they've conceded a lot of points as well. So maybe the key for them, a bit like Munster going away from home to Benetton, is. You know, play the way they're playing with the ball and tighten up without it, and they'll, they'll probably get the job done. And then, you know, they're into knockout rugby, and there's, you know, when you in a knockout competition, there's a sense of kind of once you get past the next round, there's kind of a fever pitch builds in around the team in that competition. And I think Connacht know that, and they'll 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 use that, and that won't do them any harm either in the URC. You know, so yeah, I think everything points to the fact that they have to go after this. They've every reason to do it because. They can win this game away from home and put themselves in the quarterfinal and keep it also keeps their form burning for the URC, which they're they I, I think they'd be shocked if they don't make the playoffs of the URC at this stage. They're like in prime position. Uh, even though they have a very tough game away to Glasgow the last weekend of it. But I still fancy them to be right in there in the playoffs. Yeah, and Bernard, as Eddie pointed out as well, the the fact that the season started so tough for them having to play three games on the road, and it wasn't just three games, it was away from home, it was two games in South Africa and they had a couple of derbies in there as well. They had an absolutely atrocious first five, six games. And with the context of all that and coming through it and also playing for so much of the season without Bundyaki, some of it by choice. When we consider this time last year, it felt that 
a good Connacht performance was almost dependent on Bundiaki being there and being on form. If they were to to not only get into the playoffs, which it looks like they probably are at this rate, but if they were to be able to hold that position inside the top seven and secure Champions Cup qualification, given how hard it is now for all four Irish sides to potentially get into the to the Champions Cup. For Andy Friend, that would be an absolutely remarkable achievement to be able to sign off his time at Connacht with. I think it would be sensational, particularly because obviously it's more difficult for the Irish provinces um, to, to qualify to afford them because obviously um, you know, the easiest pool is obviously that is the Scottish and Italian one and, and Glasgow are going to make it out of that but Edinburgh um, are miles away and, and we're probably we're going to finish ahead of Benetton it looks like as well or Connacht are going to finish ahead of Benetton so I think from Andy Friend's point of view um, obviously this year they didn't make Europe but to bounce back get them back into Europe as he leaves and, and in fairness to have you know, brought through some of that younger talent, Tierney Martin, the the Murray brothers, the local the local lads. Plus, Cal Ford. Able to recruit the like, yeah, Cal Ford has been outstanding recently. Um, you know, Eddie Eddie's obviously coaching some of these lads, these academy lads. Um, who he can speak about in a second, but also then being able to bring like I think it's one thing bringing Peter Dooley and Josh Murphy and Adam Byrne to Connacht because you know you know that what 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 you're getting, but. Spotting Keen Prendergast and, and David Hawkshaw, Prendergast particularly because he obviously didn't he hadn't played for Leinster at senior level. Um, Hawkshaw had played bits and pieces, but certainly wasn't the finished article. And he's he's really shown um, that he's a quality player. So Friend is leaving a squad um, probably in, be- in in root health in terms of you know a good balance of youngsters. Uh, coming through from from the academy, and I said Eddie Eddie knows more about some of those youngsters than I do. Yeah, you might pick up from that point, Eddie, because obviously you're seeing you're seeing a good few of these young lads, you know, at Buccaneers when you get your hands on them. Yeah, but the, if you look at the college across the college academy, they're really building like quality players coming out of it. Like you have, obviously, I think the the signing of of uh, David Hawkshaw is really smart work. You know, he's a he's a, a hugely talented player. He was unlucky this year. He got a couple of injuries, but he 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 he's back now, and he's he to me is a quality player. He can play across the middle of the field. Ten, twelve would be two strong positions. His brother, da- his brother Daniel, is in the academy, and uh, he came into the academy this year. Unfortunately, he was out all season with a uh, dislocated shoulder. But he's another quality player. You've got Harry West from Ballina, who's in the original twenty on the bench this year that won the Grand Slam. You know, you've Josh O'Connor who came out of. Uh, Wexford, who's been lighting it up in the IL for us as a winger, he's outstanding talent. He was uh, he's on the fringe of the squad. Uh, you could the Irish of the twenties. You've got Gavin out of Galwegians, son of Barry Gavin, who played for Connacht, and then you've got Devine, uh, the centre. His dad played for Buccaneers. Um, you know, all those players are coming right over the heartland of, of of Connacht. And you know, at the start of the show last week, and Caelan Blade uh, came out of coming out of Monavay, and Shane Jennings that amazing strip and burst up the field to create the try. He's out of ball and slow. So all those young lads have come through the underage structure or in some cases the school structure. Um, so to be fair for Connacht and what they've done, Eric Elwood in particular, because get a lot of credit, is they have built a really homegrown academy that's producing quality talent. And then they, they're smart about, like the, as I said, the Hawkshaw signing was really, really smart. You know, that to me was a, a brilliant move because to me, he's he's a really quality player. And um He's going to really be a huge cog in the Connacht wheel going forward. He's still very young, 
Um, and then their overseas signings, guys have done well also. And we haven't talked about Bondiaki yet, you know, been, who has been the glue of that team. But for whatever reason, he hasn't been at the heart of it. And I think that's a good thing. And it was because they had become Bundy dependent, you know, um, in a lot of the time. And when he was playing, they were a different team. And they, to be fair to any friend, he's kind of developed a team past that. And now when they have Bundy, it's a bonus, you know, not it's not a critical mass thing. Um, so I think if if you look at uh, Andy, Andy Friend's legacy is that he came into a team that was kind of drowning a bit on where it was going, I suppose, culturally, performance-wise. Um, and he's built it back into a competitive rugby team now. They're really high up in the URC. They're competitive in Europe. They have their eyes set on being in, in the Champions Cup next year. But on, behind all that, if you look at all the young players that are coming through, um, there's a lot of them coming out of Connacht now that are, are right up there, you know, between Irish and their 20s. Um, and, and and really, their academy has been very productive. So, to be fair, I mean, we might I might get to talk about Andy Friend again in public because um, he's he's leaving very soon. Is that, and I've been dealing with him all year in terms of, you know, having players from the academy and, and working with Eric and that and, and, and getting the odd players back. Like Oshie McCormack's another fantastic flanker of the balance low. Kieran Booth came across from the from the, uh, the 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 exiles. So like he's done a fantastic job, and I think he's leaving Connacht. And no matter what happens at this stage, you know, even if they don't win the, the, the in in the cup or they don't, you know, get into the final four in the league or whatever, I think he's left Connacht in a really really strong place. You know, and and you know they say if you come in to do a job, particularly as a coach, when you go out the gate, have you left the place in a better shape than it, you know you came in? Absolutely, one hundred percent. You can say that about any friend, and he's been brilliant to deal with. He's a, he's a real gentleman and a real great professional. So I, I think uh, Connacht are in a very strong place at the moment, and I, I just hope people don't get overexcited and expect him to do the devil, the devil in the dark. Um, I think they've had a great season so far. Now, I'm not saying they won't go further and do even better, but they've really got a lot done this year. When you look at the big picture around where where Connacht is uh, and and what's happening in the sports ground, yeah, they've set themselves up for a real good crack at the final business end of the season fellas we're almost out of time I do just want to finally mention Birch Stuart Hogg announced his his retirement on Monday which came as a surprise to to so many people he's gonna hang up the boots after the World Cup at the age of just 31 um on the face of it 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 actually just comes across a very brave decision for someone of that age who in most people's minds is playing at a still an, an incredibly high level where you know ultimately he's walking away from probably at least another three or four years and you're probably talking a million plus pounds of of earnings but ultimately he's doing it because he just feels the time is right and the body can't hold up yeah it's unusual it's unusual um uh, and a little bit like i suppose dennis hickey you know back in the day you know called it seven or eight months beforehand and cj stander even as well who cj stander a couple of years ago cj stander as well yeah you don't you don't see it very often but i think you know, it shows the the how hard it is to be a, a professional rugby player. You know, in physically and mentally, and Hog obviously his body's not right. He hasn't been as uh, as dominant this year for for Scotland. Uh, he's look, he's still starting fullback, so he's 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 doing a lot of things right, but he hasn't been at the level he was when he was Six Nations Player of the Year, etc. Um, and obviously is is just feeling a lot of pain and, and has such high standards for himself. He doesn't want to to drag it out. Um so I, I admire him for that. Uh, it is young. He's been huge for Scotland. Um and Glasgow and, and Exeter. So um 
yeah, I, I, I'd love to wish him well for, for the World Cup, but obviously that that might be um at, at our expense. So, look, I hope he plays personally uh, really well, but he doesn't have too good a World Cup. Eddie, I'd have nothing, nothing against Ireland winning that pool and Scotland finishing second. I'll just put that out there. If if Stuart Hogg wants to get into a World Cup quarterfinal or go beyond, you know, they can finish second in that pool all they want. And yeah, I wish them well on that. Um, <laughs> uh, but it, I think Hogg as well, just what Bernard mentioned there, like if you Hogg is probably a classic player who's basically his stock on trade is his pace, like his electric speed. And we, we see him in open play, he's devastating. And when you get to 30, like, you know, the reality is it's not that he, he's slowing down or anything like but it's so hard for players who are whose their game is based on out and out pace sprinters you know that all they're trying to do is always look for space and accelerate into it it's very hard as you get older and older to keep yourself in that peak like it's different for a prop or, or, or a second row or, or even a back row you know their stock and trade is more physicality and they often end up in retiring because they get broken up physically like their shoulders knees whatever back trouble but the outside backs it's such a difficult thing if you are a top end speed merchant as they call it to keep that pace and you're always risk of injury the amount of work that goes in to keep yourself in that peak so it can become a relentless you know um a relentless job day in day out day in day out to stay in that root root health to play your game and then as well as you've got your rugby as well you know you've got all your skills and all that and you can see Someone like Hago has had a phenomenal career for for us for Scotland. He's been a talisman for Scotland. He's that he's got to talk to him. He's got like, you know, mentally, physically. Can, I don't know. I, I don't think I can keep this going at this level. And if he feels like that, it's a good decision to go out at the top of your game rather than, as you say, you could stick around for another couple of years and and slide away off the off the scale. So it's a brave decision for him. But I can I can actually understand the logic in it. If that's that's his logic, it's a lifestyle thing. It's what you know. He realizes maybe I just I I don't know if I can keep this up from for any longer because it's such a difficult job to stay in the peak of fitness that he has to stay in to play his brand of rugby, and I think that's that's probably a consideration. I'm only guessing he hasn't rang and told me or anything like that, but um, <laughs> but I think that you could think that that's probably a major factor in it, and he wants to go of the game at his peak of his powers rather than to say maybe as Bernard said, you know, not maybe having a great back end to your your career, but leave your career on your terms. Which you know, not every player gets a chance to do. So I can see the logic in him doing it. Although I am still a bit shocked at the stage he's done it. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Even I think down the years, if more and more players retire, maybe those couple of years are earlier, earlier than you'd expect. Just with the way the game is so attritional now. But listen, Eddie and Birch, you've I've taken up a, enough of your time. You've been great this morning. Thanks a million for joining us, and best of luck with your games at the weekend as well. Thanks, Thanks very much. Thanks. Thanks.